Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. We are back with another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today we have Kevin Amalsh with us from, I uh, got that one right, from Pine Financial Group. <laughs> Kevin has tons of experience coming at us from, uh, from the buyer side as in investing and also from the lending side, which we will get into because uh, you know lending is it's a sore subject in a lot of investors' <laughs> topics right now. But I'm sure it'll be a good conversation. Kevin, I told you before we got on here, we like to start with stories. We like to hear how people got to where they are today. I'm sure you got a good one. Why don't you take us back to the beginning? How'd you get started in real estate? Yeah, I'll go way back. I got lots of stories. So I know this is a short podcast, but we'll do the best we can to get through some of these. Um, so I, w- I went into the Army out of high school. Um, I got sold on the the dream of laser tag. So I go into the hell yeah, I'm already liking this. That's right. Um, I, I quickly realized it wasn't my career, but I, I had a fantastic time, made some great friends, no regrets for sure. But while I was in the army, I was collecting a little bit of um, savings because I wasn't spending the money. It's like, so what am I going to do with this this little savings account? Where do I invest it? And I started reading books, and you know, I found that that purple Bible that we've all read, the the rich dad. Poor dad, and and that one kind of really tipped me off to real estate as a as a investment, it's a true you know cash flowing investment. So I started focusing in on that. Bought my first house when I was just turning twenty one. Lived there for a little while. Moved out of it. Um, I actually used student loans to for my down payment on my second house. Um, look, I had the army paying for my school. I didn't need the loan, so I took the loan out. Low interest rate, tax deductible, all of those things. Bought a second house. It was then that I realized, you know, this is going to be the asset that's going to make me rich. So I decided to turn it into a career. Um, I just really honed in on it and started buying one or two houses a month with, you know, no, no credit really. I was, I was pretty young and, and definitely no cash. So I just had to learn how to do things without cash and credit. And, and that's how I got started. Nice, man. That was, uh, you said 20 years ago? Yeah, about 20 years ago. It's crazy. Nice. I love it. Um, since then, so you, you started in single family. That's where a lot of people start. I love to hear that. Um, and but since then, you've kind of gone on. It looks like you've done over twenty four hundred transactions as a buyer, seller, or lender. And it looks like a lot of your experience today is on the lending side. Um, so tell us a bit how you went from buying those fir- two first two single families to today doing a lot of lending. Yeah, and I'm still doing the investing side too. So we could talk about that if you like. But as far as the lending side, I. At what I was learning as I was in the in the living room or at the dining room table with all of these motivated sellers is the deal structure. That's what's so fun about real estate is putting it together. And it all comes down to the financing, your offer, how you negotiate it. All of it comes down to how you're going to fund it. So I just really got attracted to the funding side of real estate, became a mortgage broker, broker which was absolutely terrible. Learned quickly that I had no control. Uh, so I started bringing in private capital, and that was in 2006 with a partner. She, she kind of took me under her wing. Um, and then 2008, when she hit the fan, as we all know, she decided uh, she preferred teaching real estate instead of actually doing it. Uh, and I'm much more of a trenches guy, deal guy. So I started my own company. Uh, that was in 2008, like I said. And, and it's just it's been great since then. Nice, man. I love it. Um, and yeah, deal structuring is... 
it is one of my favorite things. I love like looking at a deal, trying to figure out how to make it work. Uh, and there's so many different ways to to yeah. create a deal out of you know any piece of property out there um, with seller financing, with uh, with you know bridge lending, all that kind of stuff. Um, before we get into the nitty and gritty, you did. Uh, I want to just I want to backtrack a little bit. You mentioned laser tag, man. I uh, <laughs> my me and my my current partner, we were uh, that was one of the first dates we did. Um, I took her to uh, a laser tag place and we didn't, we did laser tag and it is so much fun. Were you like trying to go professional laser tag or was it just something that you love? No, oh, man, there's this, they use lasers in the army to train. So when we're out in the field, they would put a laser on the M16 and then you'd wear a vest and, uh, you know, something over your helmet and it would, it would calculate if you got shot, but it was much bigger than just the rifle. I mean, we were, I was in a mortar platoon. So, you know, they dropped the big mortars and they would have people that were like judges i guess you call them and they're driving around and estimate where our mortars would hit and they would kill everybody within the a certain radius of it and so it was sounds pretty, like fun pretty intense and it was you know some of it was a lot of fun some of it's like dude it's cold out here because you're out there for two or three <laughs> weeks at a time and let lack of sleep lack of food oh that, that does know, not sound fun but laser tag in general whatever but that's a blast <laughs> it was, all right it was fun I'm going to move us back back to real estate. Um, so private lending. Let's talk about the about deal structuring. Let's talk about getting capital for these deals. I know right now in the current environment, it's a little bit difficult for uh, for a lot of investors to get funding for their deals. Interest rates have gone up. Buyers or sellers are still looking for uh, asking prices that you know made sense when interest rates were at. Four percent, and now it's up, you know, six, seven percent, and it just doesn't make sense anymore. So, when you are out there looking for deals, how do you go about? Um, what are some creative ways that you look to structure the deal to make it work for for both parties? Yeah, so I guess let me put my investor hat on because I think that will speak maybe speak a little bit better to the audience than than if I was looking for on the lending side. On the lending side, it's more like my borrowers coming to me with transactions. I'm not actually searching for them. So mm. on the on the investor side, we're still doing quite a bit, but we're what we're seeing is that you have to add significant value to make money. We're not seeing a lot of you know turnkey cap rates that are going to make sense. Um, so we're looking at how can we add value? Is it a we just funded a um, office complex in Chicago. So how how are they going to manage it better than the previous managers? You know what I'm mm. saying? Like how how are you going to increase the value there? We're seeing a lot of repositionings. So we did a, a Safeway building that they converted into a swim school and a choose fitness. Um, so it was just a conversion from a. a they put a, a swimming Safeway. pool in a Safeway. That's interesting. Yeah, it was crazy. So there's two. They said they split it in three, basically into thirds. But then mm. they combined two of them for the fitness, and then they kept the one. And they put a swim school in that one. Um, and really the cool, cool thing about that is they chopped off an out parcel, um, so a single retail pad, and they built a Starbucks. Um, Starbucks, of course, because Starbucks works everywhere in the it's United everywhere. States. <laughs> and you, a lot of people don't know, but most of the Starbucks, maybe all, are um, they don't own the real estate. They're, they lease that, and that's oh, I, really <laughs> low uh, cap rates, right? You're sub fours in a lot of markets. Yeah, triple like net, that, that kind of stuff. That's a, that's a guaranteed check, right? So you have to build it specific to what they're looking for, but yeah, they landed they landed Starbucks, and I had a tremendous value. Um, so I'm saying, I guess to answer your question, I took a long way to answer it, but where can you find the value? You're not going to find the value in a screaming deal right now. 
Um, you're going to find the value by by repositioning something or adding to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, and even when uh, cap rates are low, um, I always look for for deals that have value add on them because that's really where you find the best deals. You're not going to find a class A, you know, 120 unit multifamily that uh, that goes at a cap rate like a seven or eight cap. That's just not going to happen. So you got to you got to find a deal that needs some love, something that you can really go in there give it uh, give it the value that it that it deserves and uh, and bring it up um, bring that NOI up so um so I'm kind of out of the the debt markets I haven't gotten you know, even applied for a loan uh, in a while I do a lot of seller financing um, so what is the current interest rate you know uh, the going interest rate for a uh, a multifamily out there right now uh, gosh, I don't do a ton of that. Uh, uh, we do short-term value-add lending, so we're not okay. seeing a lot of that long-term debt. But I'm I'm thinking it's close to eight percent on on a commercial asset like that. I know on the residential side, we're floating around seven for investors, about six for owner-occupied. So I'm kind of guessing a little bit here, Gabe, but I'm thinking it's about eight. Um, okay. But look, what what we do is provide the financing to reposition it. So a bank doesn't want a twenty percent occupied apartment building. Yeah. They won't fund that. Doesn't DSCR that, that service coverage? So we need to come in and provide the money for the acquisition. We provide the money for the cleanup, remodel the units, whatever it is. Get the place full, and then it's bankable. Then you go go to the bank, get your loan, and you can take us out. It's a fantastic strategy to you know really limit your out of pocket and get into a value add project. Yep, yep, that makes sense. So you guys do bridge lending. That's your your main exactly. focus. Exactly. Okay. We do bridge lending on both the residential and commercial side. So the yeah. res- on the residential side, you know, think about your fix and flip or your burr strategy that we hear so much about. Yeah. Um, so we're doing we're doing all of that. Yep, yep, makes sense. Um, so what? Let's just talk about bridge lending then, and I can actually use an example because I'm looking at a uh, a seventy three thousand square foot uh, self storage facility in Oklahoma, um, and I. I've been talking to this seller for years, like literally two years. Um, and back when I originally talked to him, he had, uh, you know, they had been doing really well. And then lawsuits happened, family drama happened, tenants were stolen from blah, blah, blah. A lot of stuff happened when we finally went to sign the contract. It turned out that the property um, had been doing a lot worse than, uh, than we had originally, you know, when we first started talking, then it was doing because, um, again, family drama. So I, uh, I got to the point where you know it, it's at a price point that it doesn't make sense anymore, especially with the the current interest rates. Um, and so we renegotiated, but it's still at a price point that gives value for the property. But um, because it's only at thirty percent occupancy, it doesn't cash flow. It doesn't have a good you know one point two five DSCR. So, what is it when you guys look at deals like this? What do you look for, and um, how do you how do you justify um, I guess how negative can you go when it comes to uh, to a cash flowing property, and how do you justify the the asset um, when it you know it has a, a negative cash flow? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So it's, I'm going to answer that in general, and then we can come back to the self storage specifically um, because that's a we call that a special use. It's a little bit different than you would give with a triple net or something like a regular rental property. A little bit higher management, um, so we treat those a little bit different. Um, but to answer your question, we're looking at the repositioned stabilized value. So we typically will get a full appraisal, which will tell us exactly what that is. Um, and they have projections on all the expenses. They have, they have projections on all the, the potential rents. 
And then we'll use that. We'll take we take 65% of that and we'll, we'll loan you up to that. But what I want from you is a good solid plan to get to that stabilized value. And if you're buying a property that's somewhat turnkey, it's going to be a tough sell. Like, how are you going to be so much better than the previous manager? Like, I need you to lay out the plan for me. As long as you can sell me on that, we're in. Yep, that makes sense. So you guys do 65% of LTV post value add, post rehab. Um, And so if we use just general numbers, let's say a million dollar property, you would give $650,000 for that. And uh, is that... So for for single family, that's based a lot on comps and everything. Um, How would you do that when it comes to a commercial property that's based mostly on NOI? So you have so comps. I mean, you still have to you still have to comp it, but what you're comping is the cap rate, right? So what what is the cap rate? What is that project going to sell for in this market? What 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 are the what's the return the investors are looking for? That's how the appraisers do it. They comp the cap, and then they're going to take the potential rent income and subtract all of your expenses, just like um, any other any other project. The cool thing about these appraisal reports on the commercial side, they they actually comp the expenses, they comp the rental income, they comp all of that. And then oh, they come up with an NOI, right? And then you then you use the NOI and the projected cap rate to come up with the value. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, cool. Yeah, it's it sounds not based like on historic. You can't use historic numbers because, I mean, it's mismanaged, right? We're looking at potential. Yeah. And we don't have a we don't have a loan to cost ratio, so it could be a hundred percent financing. And we don't have a DSCR ratio because we already know it's not gonna cover that. Yep. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And it's a good uh good good tool to have in anybody's um tool belt, especially when you're finding these properties uh like the one I found out in Oklahoma that just doesn't make sense on paper, but you can see the potential for it in the future. So um so outside of lending, you're still involved in, uh, you're an active investor out there buying properties. What do you look for individually? Yeah, it's again, it's value add, but I'm, I'm telling you, I don't have as quite as much time as I once did. So I'm not going for the little single family homes, 20 or $30,000 profits. I'm, I'm really looking for much larger than that, but I'm also looking for it to be more passive. So I might go into a small syndication, four or five, six guys that do a, townhome development project, or I might look at a, uh, I just bought with one other partner, um, an industrial building that's currently occupied by Goodyear. Mm. So that's, that one's a really neat one because the lease is expiring in less than two years. And that's scare It's scaring a lot of buyers off, but we're looking at it as a redevelopment place. So we're going to renegotiate with Goodyear. And if they take it, boom, adds value. If they decide to to leave after the lease and we'll just knock it down and redevelop the, the land. So we're, we're good either way. Uh, but those are the kind of projects that I'm looking at now. I'm always looking for rental properties too. If I see a little $100,000, $200,000 property, that's going to cash flow pretty well. I'll probably buy it. Yeah, those are, they're hard to pass up. Um, I've, yeah. I've gotten past your, I've gotten to a point where I just, I, I can't do single family anymore. It's just, uh, it's not, it's not in my, in my, uh, in my belt, but it is, uh, it's hard to pass up deals like that. Um, and I love the that you guys had multiple exit strategies for that industrial. Um, and that is, I mean, that is really crucial when you want to to reduce the risk of any investment that you get into is you have different ways to exit it. 
um, with deals like this, especially when it comes to land, you you go into a land deal or something that is a redevelopment deal with the expectation that eventually you will be redeveloping the deal for something else. And then you can also have the opportunity to get a new tenant in there. If they accept it, then you know the value goes up. Or if yeah. it's just flat land, you can just resell the land for hire. If somebody wants to buy it, great. You made a you made a quick buck. Um, so I love that you had multiple exit strategies there. That is, uh, it's always good to hear. I just took a peek at the clock. We have run down our time, okay. so it looks like we are going to have to jump into the quick question round. Are you ready? Let's go for it. Yeah, let's do it. It starts with books. I'm a book big bookie, so give me or any form of education really. Give me two um, two recommendations: one for general life wisdom and one for real estate specific. Uh, Think and grow rich for general. Um, you probably hear that one a ton. That's a reread every year kind of book. Um, and then for business, I'm really liking traction right now. Um, so I've read that I don't know, three or four times, and I'm really trying to implement that in my business. That's definitely for a company that's got employees and staff and all of that. Um, prior to, I'm going to give you three, sorry. Prior to traction, um, E-Myth Revisited is a great how to build a business book. Nice, nice. I like that. Uh, E-Myth, I uh, read that a long time ago. It was really really good book. I haven't read Traction yet though. I've heard of it. Um, so it sounds like something that's uh, that will help you out in, I'm assuming, building your processes. Is that what it's about? Yeah, it's scaling. So processes, and it's just a whole system. Like what's the pulse of your, your meetings with your team and your staff and what are the objectives of each meeting and how to, they call them scorecards, how to, how to, how to uh, score your staff, make sure they're in the right seats. So all of that. Nice. I love it. All right, that moves us to the next question. This is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Kevin way back in 2006, who was just getting started. Let's go back to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. This is so easy, Gabe. I would say when you're going to make your goals, don't make a goal based on looking cool to other people. Um, I definitely was like, I got to make so many, I got to do so many transactions a month because I want to go to the RIA or real estate investment club and tell everyone I just did four deals or whatever it is. And then I was buying shitty deals and then 2008 came. So definitely be very careful with your goal setting, especially if you're laser focused on it, because you might just hit it. Absolutely. And yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think that's really good advice, especially when it comes to underwriting. Don't fudge on the numbers. Numbers are numbers. Um, they're not going to change if you, even if you wish it to a hundred thousand times, numbers will not change. So yeah. stick to your underwriting uh, and, uh, and keep it strong on that front moves us to the next question. This is Superman strengths. All of us are given strengths that we uniquely give this world. So what is your Superman strength? I think I've got pretty good at teaching people how to buy real estate. So I, I was asking, asked constantly, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? I tried to write a bio so that people could learn exactly my steps. It turned into a how-to. So I published a book, How to Buy Properties with No Money Down. And now I just try to help people teach that. Nice. I love it. Um, how to Buy Properties no, no Money Down is the title of the book. It's called The 45-Day Investor, just 45dayinvestor.com. And it's the specific strategies, lease options, because that's the one that really got me going. Um, but it's it's how to buy properties, no money down, forty five days or less, and it's it's about the lease option. Nice, I love it. Before we move on to the next question, let's just dive a little deeper into lease options um, because this is not something that a lot of people talk about, but it is a great strategy. So, give us a hundred foot view. What is a lease shop, lease option, and why would you, as the buyer and the seller, want to uh, to engage in one? 
yeah, this is a perfect timing for this because of the way the market is with the higher interest rates and people locked in at you know, three to 4% uh, interest rates. So this strategy is going to work really well coming into this market that we're going into. And it's just, le- it's really simple. It's leasing a property from a seller that's motivated. They have to relieve the payment pressure. So think about all the reasons I could create that pressure. So all we're doing is relieving that pressure by making them a rent payment every month. In exchange for that, they're going to lock in a price for a set period of time. I would say never go less than five years. We like to go much longer, uh, but the longer you go, the safer you are. So say it's a 10-year lease option, you have a set price. As the value of that property goes up, your price stays locked in. So you become more, it becomes more and more and more valuable over time. And then you could flip out of it or you could lease option it to a, to a tenant buyer, sell the contract, buy and sell the house, lots of exits. But um, that's just one way to get into a property. Nice. I love it. Yeah. Um, lease options. I've never actually done one. Uh, I've read, you know, I've had people on talking about them. They seem like a great strategy to have in your tool belt. Um, so maybe one of these days I'll have to, I'll have to add that to my repertoire. It's pretty easy to understand, right? So sellers get it. They, they yeah. can grasp the concept. Yep. Yep. Uh, that moves us to the next question. And this is about finding deals. Uh, there's so many ways to find good deals. What is the, your favorite method of, uh, of finding a deal in today's market? Well, for me, I like wholesalers because I don't want to work that hard. Um, so I like working with wholesalers and having them bring me deals. Once you start closing on them, you're going to start seeing that they'll bring you more and more. Um, but Perfect. if you're really motivated and, and willing to do it, it's like knocking on doors and cold calling. That's how you're going to find them. Yep. And uh, man, you must have better wholesalers out there. All the wholesalers that we have out here in Seattle. And no no shame to any wholesalers. I know there's good ones, but most of them send out crappy deals. And so you must have some good ones. Uh, you got to look at a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. That moves us to the next question. This is mentors. Uh, none of us are islands. We all stand on the shoulders of giants. So who is one mentor who has contributed significantly to your career today? Well, the one that jumps out at me is Peter Conti. Um, I joined his program way back 20 years ago. And, um, you know, I, I met him at a little free two hour workshop and, and I've done almost 200 deals because of what I've learned from him. Um, nice. Now I've got mentors that are much closer that, you know, I know really well, we'll go have beers or whatever together. Um, but he was the one that kind of got my career going. Nice. I love that. And yeah, those, uh, those initial mentors, even if you don't meet them, if you buy one of their masterclasses or whatever, the people who first teach you how real estate works, um, those guys are so pivotal. Mine was Matt Tyriel. I don't even know if he's still doing it today, but he, he was uh, crushing it back, uh, back in 2008. All right. That leads us to the very last question. This is for the listeners. I'm sure people out there want to reach out and uh, learn a little bit more about your book, about everything you offer. So what is the best way for them to get in contact with you? You know, I wrote a I wrote a report comparing the 1990 housing crash to today because that's going to be the most re- it resembles that one the most. Everyone compares it to 2008, but it's not even close to that. So I wrote a report. If you guys want the report for free, it's thepinereport.com, and you can download that. Um, the book 45dayinvestor.com, um, but really the the company, the Pine Financial Group. Um, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. It's pinefinancialgroup.com. All right. Sounds good. And then that report you said was the pinereport.com? The pinereport.com. Yeah. There's two reports on there, private lending. So so you don't go out there and lose your ass by making a loan to somebody and not know what you're doing. And then I wrote that report on the uh, the comparison of the two, the two times in the economy. Perfect. I love it. 
All right. Well, I will put those links in the show notes. So if y'all want to reach out to Kevin, um, get that report, go ahead and click a little more in the description. It'll pull down the full description and in there you can find Kevin's URLs. All right, Kevin, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Dave, thank you so much for having me, man. That was fun. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me and Gabe at the real estate investing club.com. And if you guys want to support the show, all I ask is you give us some love with a subscribe, like, share, all that jazz on uh, whatever platform you're listening to this on. Other than that, I hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.